Hey everybody, welcome to the Single Tracks Podcast. My name is Jeff, and today Matt and I are going to be doing a bit of an update on a bunch of mountain bike advocacy issues. So over the last year, two years, there's been a number of advocacy things coming up in the mountain bike world from bikes in wilderness to the way that mountain bike clubs are organized. And so we're going to take some time. A lot of this stuff has changed actually just in the last couple of months. So we're going to try to update everyone on these various issues. So before we talk about some of these specific issues, I wanted us to define some terms and sort of talk about general uh, advocacy stuff. One of the big issues here in terms of bikes in wilderness is this idea of wilderness study areas. Matt, what's your understanding of what a wilderness study area is? So it sounds like it's you know an area that's put up for study and they basically analyze if it's going to be designated as as a wilderness or not, or if that area is going to be benefited by a full-on wilderness designation. Right. And I guess to back up even further, we should mention that in the United States anyway, uh, when we talk about wilderness, that's like a legal definition, I guess you would say, for an area uh, that is protected and under current sort of interpretation of the wilderness rules and regulations, that means no bicycles are allowed. So essentially these wilderness study areas have begun, while they're not wilderness yet, they've started to be treated as wilderness. And so bikes are not allowed even when an area is under study, even if it's not a wilderness area yet. So there's another similar designation called a recommended wilderness area, an RWA. And again, it's the same idea that an area is recommended for wilderness designation. It hasn't been officially approved yet. But again, the lawyers and various people who interpret these rules have decided that if an area is recommended for wilderness, that's it. No more bikes even though, again, it's not officially. And then there's another designation called an inventoried roadless area, an IRA. And honestly, I'm not sure how this ties into WSAs and RWAs, but basically it's another designation that is used to keep bikes out of certain areas, particularly those with wilderness characteristics. So let's get into this bitterroot issue in Montana. So we ran a series recently from Lee Lau, and Lee actually put together a trip to ride a number of mountain bike trails in Montana that are at risk or have recently actually been closed since his trip to mountain bikes. So Matt, do you know sort of the history of the bitterroot decision and what's going on there? A little bit. So the areas that Lee was in, I think it was... Uh, Blue Sapphire Wilderness, it had been closed off to bikes for a while. That ban lifted in July for like, I don't know, three weeks, a month maybe. And then I believe it was closed again in August. And now there is a period for comment and travel management plan that's taking place to where they'll actually, the Forest Service will actually decide whether that ban is going to be permanent to mountain bikes or it isn't. Yeah, and it was kind of an unusual situation because there was sort of this initial comment period on this new travel plan that banned bikes. 
Um, they collected the comments and everything, and then I believe they made the decision to ban bikes, but then some mountain bikers and I believe other groups as well said the process wasn't done correctly the first time, that mountain bikers weren't able to give adequate comments, and so they reopened it. So <laughs> while they reopened it, they said, okay, well, we got to reverse the decision. We're going to allow bikes. And then I believe there was a lawsuit against that even saying that while we reopened it, we still shouldn't allow bikes. And so it was a big mess. And I think it literally happened while Lee was there, you know, it was like one day right. they're, they're planning to go ride this trail the, the next day. And then they find out it was closed that day or something reclosed. So yeah, yeah, a bit of a mess there. So a number of mountain bike groups got together to try to basically flood the, the comment box on this redo because initially there were just a handful of comments in support of mountain bikes in this area compared to the number of people who were against bikes in the area. Um, and so for the redo, a number of groups, you know, got together, including Emba asking mountain bikers to submit comments and it ended up being a, a good number of comments i, I think mm -hmm. a couple thousand at least right matt yeah yeah it was over i want to say it was like 3300 actually wow so yeah enough for them for the forest service to really kind of open their eyes to the voice of mountain bikers yeah and it was interesting the thing that we read sort of after all the comments had been tabulated was that while there are you know a ton of positive comments for mountain biking, it's not like a vote. You know, it's not like they're going to see all right how many pro, how many cons. They're really just looking for public input so that they can make the best decision. And so, I don't know. I mean, what's your feeling? Do you think that they'll ultimately allow mountain bikes in the area, sort of for this travel plan, or what do you think? I don't know. I mean, it's hard to say that at least from seeing Lee's photographs and reading what he wrote, it doesn't sound like there are enough mountain bikers traveling in the area because it's so remote and so rugged that right. it really has that bad of an impact on the land. So I mean, my hope is that they would lift the ban for good, but I think, yeah, I think it just depends on, on a lot of other groups and the kind of influence that they have on the forest service in the area. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I like to be hopeful and try to look at things in a positive light and in talking with Lee and sort of working with him on his story, he was very down on the prospects of, you know, mountain bikers being allowed to stay on these trails. He, he was very pessimistic and looking at just the fact that, that the forest service did the initial comment thing and decided to close down the trails to bikes. It seems unlikely that they're going to change their mind uh, just because of this like comment redo period, you know? Sure. Yeah. It's kind of like they were redoing the comments just because they had to, just because it's what the lawyers told them or whatever. It's kind of, you know, an exercise in just checking the box. So we'll see. Hopefully, hopefully not. Hopefully they'll reconsider and, and see that mountain bikers are good stewards and, should be allowed to ride those trails. Yeah. And I mean, for local mountain bikers up there, I mean, Montana and Idaho and that whole area, there's for me, like, I really don't feel like I get affected where I'm at in Colorado by, you know, opening and closing of mountain bikes to wilderness. But, uh, I mean, up there, it's a lot of land that mountain bikers use pretty regularly. Yeah. So I think the impact is felt a little bit more, uh, or has been felt a little bit more up in that area. Yeah. And those trails are unique in that there's a lot of like high alpine riding, you know, where you can get up above tree line more so than in a lot of other states. And so it's not the kind of riding that 
I mean, while there are local riders, like you said, there most people don't ride that stuff regularly. It's a pretty special experience and involves a lot, a lot of work, honestly. I mean, unless you're on an e-bike, but we're not talking about e-bikes. So, right. I mean, it kind of, it's like a self-limiting thing, the number of people that are going to be out there. And then I wonder too, it would be interesting to know if those hiker groups and the people opposed to bikes in these areas, are they put off by the number of comments that you get. I mean, if they see thousands of comments from bikers, they're probably scared. Like, oh no, now thousands of bikers are going to show up. It's almost like, it's almost like if you keep it low key and be like, no, it's cool. Like there's not going to be many of us, but right. we'd still like to have the option. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And it, I mean, it seems like the way that mountain bikers are voicing their arguments has changed over time too, to where there's a lot more strength in numbers than there used to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To where like hiking or wilderness groups used to have a much larger voice. Right. So speaking of bikes in wilderness, you know, the group that sort of is spearheading this effort to get bikes into wilderness areas, regardless of whether they're WSAs or or truly established wilderness areas, is the Sustainable Trails Coalition. And we've covered this group a lot uh, on the website, and we've had interviews with some of the folks involved with the STC, and things have been a little bit quiet from them. I guess earlier this year, it looked like maybe we were close to seeing some movement on one or both of their bills, but the prospects for that are not looking great, are they, Matt? No. Well, they just sent out a press release, I think that was uh, earlier this week, about you know, with the midterm elections, uh, Congress and the House of uh, Representatives is switching over to a more Democrat-controlled House in Congress. And, I mean, typically, Democrats are going to align more with, like, a pure wilderness view without mechanical, any sort of mechanical allowance. And Republicans typically have a uh, much different view on land management. So I think they were sort of banking on having Republicans in to move the bill along and now it's changing. Right. Because both the House the House and the Senate bill were both sponsored by Republicans. Mm-hmm. It seems like politics plays a big role in this. You know, as mountain bikers, I'm sure I'm sure mountain bikers are split probably 50-50. I don't know. We should do a survey. We should ask. But regardless of political persuasion, I think most of us agree. In fact, surveys that we've done show that most of us agree that there's no reason bikes shouldn't be allowed in certain wilderness areas, you know, where it makes sense. Right. And so, yeah, it's kind of unfortunate that this has to be a partisan issue, but I guess everything is these days. The STC, I mean, they seem a little bit hopeful, right? Like, is is there any possible way that this is going to happen? Right. So Mike Lee from Utah, Senator Lee, he sponsored the, was it Senate Bill S2877? And so... It sounds like Senator Lee is staying in uh, the Senate, and it, I mean, it's hopeful that he'll continue to sponsor the bill. But who else? I think somebody else was. Uh, yeah, McClintock. Right. Yeah, he was reelected as well. Yeah, so they have continued support at that level for I think both of the bills. It's just now that the cards are going to be stacked a little bit more against voting in that certain way. Yeah, one of the House sponsors. Uh, actually got elected to the Senate. So they're kind of stacking the Senate with a number of people who maybe are in support of this bill. But the fact remains, you know, 
while maybe it's going to be possible to get a Senate bill passed, uh, the House bill is going to be much tougher because it's controlled by the opposite party. <clears throat> but again, the STC, they're ever hopeful and figure, you know, if if somehow Senate bill manages to also get passed in the House, then they have no doubt that the president will sign it. And again, it's partisan, right? Because he's Republican and this is a Republican issue now, apparently. So that's kind of the only way forward. But yeah, the door's still not closed, I guess. Yeah. And I I mean, I wouldn't expect the SEC just to sort of be like, oh, well, we tried after this and, <laughs> you know, sort of disband. Right. I think, yeah. I mean, I think they'll continue to push for it. It just might not be as, I don't know, quick as we had hoped because, yeah. I mean, with this, in, in the summer, we had, you know, two bills that were um, intended to favor bikes in wilderness and it looked like they were gaining traction. And now it doesn't seem like they're going to be getting traction for much longer. So, yeah. And the, the STC seems to be, last I heard, they were, you know, out of money. I mean, I think they had run out of money a while ago to pay for the lobbyists that they had working in Washington. And supposedly for a while, the lobbyist was working sort of on his or her own dime because he or she believed so much in the cause. I don't know how how accurate that is. I, I, politics confuse me sometimes. But yeah, they, there's not much funding left. I think, in my opinion, there, the STC is going to need another push for funding to keep going and to stick with this. I mean, I know, I know the organizers and the board of the STC, I know they're very passionate and they can run on that for a little while, but you know, if, if they don't have financial support, I think it's going to be a tough road ahead. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see. Uh, I mean, a lot of people rallied behind them after Ambus sort of revised their stance on wilderness a few years ago mm -hmm. and, uh, people put all their eggs into the SDC basket and, so it'll be interesting to see what direction they end up taking after after this sort of settles down. Yeah, they, and it was tough for them because the industry never really supported the STC. And maybe that changed, but for a long time, they had very few corporate sponsors, if any. I think I heard that Santa Cruz gave them $500 or something. Oh, man. And, but they were the only ones. No, that's good. That's good that Santa Cruz gave them 500 bucks. Nobody else did. And I've read that some others, I don't know if they would publicly want, want it said, but I've, I've read interviews with some folks in the industry, owners of bike brands that have said that they support bikes in wilderness. And mm -hmm. I don't know if it's a case of them not agreeing with the way the SCC is going about it. And that's why they haven't contributed or what. So mm -hmm. that could be an interesting line of inquiry in the next year. I mean, if, if not the SCC, like what, what else do we have? I mean, how else could we get this changed? Yeah, exactly. Right. Um, there's, I mean, it, yeah. Imba is just focused on doing other things and it's wilderness is not a part of that right now. Right. But, um, yeah, if not SCC, then there's really not any other major groups that are sort of pushing for bikes and wilderness. Yeah. I think some groups in California, maybe now that I think about it, that the San Diego mountain bike association seems to be in support of this, um, just because they're, state in their area in particular has a number of wilderness areas close by. And so it's, it's an important issue to them. Um, so maybe we'll, we will see, but I, again, I don't know, even if they do support it and they want this to happen, I don't know what you do other than what the STC is doing, which is, you know, get bills introduced to, right. to make a change. Yeah. 
Well, speaking of California, there's been a number of forest fires in California, sort of at the end of 2018. And it seems like a number of mountain bike trails were impacted. We tried to sort of get an accounting of all the trails that were impacted. What have you found out about that so far, Matt? See, so I exchanged a few emails with somebody from Corba, Concerned Off-Road Bicyclists Association, um, and they're down in uh, I think north of LA area. And then I spoke with Kyle Adams. He was so he is a trail crew member for the Reading Trail Alliance. I think that's their organization, and then Reading Loose Riders, and so all major wildfire impacted areas. And yeah, they expect some damage. Like the the trails aren't directly affected by the fire. Kyle Adams said that they were looking crispy. That's, that's what he said <laughs> about them. You know, it's like you can't burn dirt, but everything around it has been burnt. Like all the vegetation that usually soaks up rainfall. And now is the time of the year where they're going to start seeing more rainfall. So Mm -hmm. here come mudslides and, you know, actual erosion and trail damage and, you know, everything that goes along with that. So I know that they specifically were looking out for certain areas of trail that they expected to erode and have to retouch and maintain and build back up again. But uh, yeah, I mean, the whole area is just... Yeah, had some some pretty rough times lately. Yeah, and you found out about one of the breweries, I guess, in the Reading area was trying to help out and raise funds to help recover the trails, right? Yeah, it was a pretty cool, totally like grassroots type of uh, partnership. So it's the local chapter in Reading of Loose Riders, like Loose Riders Global Alliance, which are kind of like a big free ride type of uh, organization with mm-hmm. just different riders across the world. and. So they had a strong chapter in Reading, um, and they partnered with the Reading Trail Alliance and then partnered with the, I think it was Fall River Brewery, to come up with a beer called Single Track Obsession. And it's an IPA, of course. <laughs> Naturally. Mountain bikers drink. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, uh, $1 per beer that they sell will go back towards Reading Trail Alliance and kind of go into a pot for rebuilding the trails that are affected by erosion and fire and then rain and all that. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's really cool. That's a good way to raise funds. And it's interesting that I think we've seen other breweries do this as well, where they do fundraisers for mountain biking, whether it's like hosting an event at the brewery or Mm -hmm. doing, you know, raffles or donating per beer, like they're doing there in Reading. Yeah. It's interesting. There's that relationship that the breweries see, you know, like a healthy mountain bike scene and trails for people in their areas being like an important thing to their brands. Yeah, uh, for sure. I mean, again, like a huge, uh, and there's definitely a huge connection between breweries and, you know, of course, local businesses and mountain bikers, especially if those local businesses or breweries are near a trailhead. So they definitely see the potential in putting their name and putting their dollars towards rebuilding the trails and giving back to the community in that way. Yeah, that's cool. So one of the other things or stories that we've been tracking late this year is this new state level advocacy model for mountain bike clubs and groups that are trying to build new trails and maintain trails and get trail access. And Matt, you spoke with Tom from the Vermont Mountain Bike Association. And actually, we spoke with them as well on the podcast uh, with an interview. But Vermont's not the only one sort of moving to this model. Michigan is doing it as well. So at sort of a high level, how does how's the state level advocacy model work? Yeah, so it's, um, it's like something that's really, I mean, it seems to be 
spreading in popularity, at least within like this past year. To where Vermont's been doing it for five years now, and now it's really starting to catch on. But anyway, to sort of give you a distinct example, Vermont has, it's almost like what IMBA has been for a long time, but now it's, mm-hmm. you know, there's no IMBA oversight. It's specific to that state. So there's an overhead, VIMBA, they have a headquarters. And then each town that has a trail area or network is a, a member or a chapter of Vermont Mountain Bike Association. So, you know, if you're a local mountain biker to Waterbury, a, a town in Vermont, then you sign up for the Waterbury Area Trail Alliance and they give them an overhead. But, you know, you're you're a member of your own town's trail organization mm-hmm. and then they have an overhead that's only, you know, I mean, it serves the state. And so... Seems like it's working really well. They've had like a ton of chapters grow. They've seen a ton of money come in. A lot of uh, just a lot of membership, which you know a lot of other states are struggling with, and especially in the local programs have have struggled with to like spark interest or to spark interest in uh, membership for a long time. Yeah, right. It's interesting that you say that. It's, I mean, it's basically, it is the IMBA model, but it's at a state level. Yeah. You know, these, it's like these mini IMBAs are popping up just to deal with their state. And like you said, it's working really well in Vermont. It's interesting in covering this story and reading about it and talking with Tom to understand the difference between like different types of mountain bike organizations. So mm-hmm. a lot of us, to a lot of us, it's, it's the same thing, right? You've got your local chapter and you've got EMBA. And I think people were confused and you have, you have a state level one in some cases too. And I think people were confused for a while there, you know, where they were like, Oh, do I, do I join my local chapter or do I join EMBA? And really those are two totally different things. The local chapter is generally the one that's working with land managers, getting trails approved, funding new trails, volunteering to build trails and maintain trails. You know, that's that's where all the work gets done. It's like the local town level or whatever you want to call it. And in some cases, there's even a club like dedicated just to a single trail system. Like if you have a really big trail system. So yeah. those local clubs, you know, that's where all the work gets done. That's where, where there's boots on the ground. And then you still need to have like a, another organization that helps do sort of the like higher level planning and funding and stuff. And at that level, you're able to support, you know, like a full-time person who that's all they do. You know, at the local level, you're going to have all volunteers. Whereas at the sort of the state level or the EMBA level, they can pool enough resources to, to fund staff, full-time staff, to work on grants and to provide continuity and all that, that good stuff. And it's, it can be tough, like, especially when you're trying to raise money from individuals, like nobody wants to donate to, you know, paying staff salary and like paying for, you know, company vehicles and all that that kind of stuff or software insurance or just all the expenses that go along with administration. And so, yeah, I, just to me, that's, that's something I never really understood was the difference and that you'd still need both, you know, there's no, definitely like if IMBA went away or, or the Vermont mountain bike association went away, the local clubs would have a hard time existing. Yeah. I mean, there's still a lot of, uh, there's still a lot of federal funding that, Imba works to attain that ends up trickling down into, you know, I mean, it's not like you go to like another federal trail system or something. It's like you, mm-hmm. you go to a different state and you ride the state's trail system. So there ends up still being this trickle down from federal dollars into every trail system or most every trail system mm-hmm. in some way or another. 
so yeah, very different, but also they have to work together in one way or another. Right. This state level model, can it work everywhere? I mean, the places that it's working, are they sort of unique in some way? Kind of our big story recently was about how Vermont was utilizing the statewide model and having a lot of success with it. And Michigan has sort of reworked to or worked to reshape uh, their own model after, you know, Imba lost Subaru as a partner and a lot of dollars fell through. So Michigan felt that it was appropriate to move to a statewide model like Vermont has. Um, And talking with Melissa Workman, who who, she heads up uh, Michigan Mountain Bike Alliance. For them, a statewide model was like really attainable too, because in Michigan, there's not a lot of designated wilderness that they have to deal with. So she said most of their trail decisions are sort of made at a statewide level. So for them, it makes complete sense. It's not just wilderness though, right? I mean, they just don't have a lot of federal lands, period, right? So like National Forest or BLM or any of these other land managers. Yeah, right. Different designated lands. So they don't, most of their trail decisions, like you said, are being made at the statewide level. So it's just, it's easier to pull off that statewide model. Yeah. Yeah. And it seems that Imba is really embracing this and kind of saying, this is what we've been saying all along. I mean, this is, you know, they maybe are now trying to make it clear that they never really wanted to be sort of as involved at the local level as they were, you know, for a while, Imba had these like regional directors that were, they were like on the Imba payroll and everything. I know in the Southeast, you know, the Southern off-road bike association was kind of like underneath Imba. And so Imba funded, I don't know, at least one, maybe two full-time positions for that region. And so I think if they had the funding, they would have probably rolled that model out where they had people sort of set up in these, these smaller, like state focused areas, but, but we're, we're never able to do so. And so their model is kind of in transition and it sounds like, you know, from the latest information we've seen from them that they're sort of embracing this move toward more localized administration and trying to support that however they can. Yeah. Yeah. It's really interesting to see. So with the Imba local program changed in uh, January to where, right. sort of set up with more of like a local, local model, right? Yeah. It's Imba local. So now you have a stronger statewide chapter. Imba as an overhead is taking less money than they used to from those chapters where they used to take sign up for a $50 membership in Colorado. They would take 60% of that and 40% of it would go to Tacoma. Mm-hmm. And that changed. And just as of this year, so now they're taking, I think it's like a flat rate of like 1250 mm-hmm. no matter what you pay into it. So it's, you pay 50, they take 1250 pay a hundred, they take 1250 So it's a less of an overhead, hopefully more money going into your local trails. And yeah, seeing one of the staff members in Imba, uh, something they put out, I think today or yesterday saying that this is what they want to move to. They couldn't adequately address statewide issues before. Yeah. It makes sense to have these layers too. And and there are still those federal issues that, you know, we would love to see Emba take on and, and that they're uniquely suited to do. And it's interesting. One of those issues though, is, is the wilderness issue, you know, which is mm. the one that they're like, Nope, we're not, we're not taking that one on. Yeah. But other federal stuff or, you know, I mean, I guess in a sense they are taking it on. They've just taken a stance that not a lot of mountain bikers agree with. Right. 
Yeah, definitely seems like Imba is, well, they are reshaping, and now they're really putting into words what they know they can do best and leaving the States uh, what they don't do best. And yeah, I mean, I mean, I think this is sort of what people have been waiting for for a long time, and uh, maybe it'll draw some people back into Imba a little bit. Yeah, yeah, we'll see. So speaking of Imba, another one of the things that they've been pushing recently is there are a number of federal issues and funding things that are happening right now that involve mountain bikers. So you alluded to this earlier. There are a number of these federal funds, pools of money that are available to help build trails, to acquire land for trails and conservation that's available each year. And a lot of this stuff, again, this comes down to politics. A lot of this this funding gets held up each year for various political reasons. You know, somebody says like, well, I'm not going to vote for allowing this money to be available unless you vote for this other thing that's not related. And so <laughs> every year there's this like chicken little like, oh, my gosh, the sky is falling. We're not going to get our trail funding this year that happens. And I mean, I think it's important. You know, it's important that as mountain bikers, we voice our opinion on it and say, look, stop holding up our money, you know, but yeah. So that's an issue again this year. And one of those big pools of funding is the land and water conservation fund. And basically this, this fund, it's a lot of money, two and a half million dollars a day or something. So I haven't done the math, but I mean, that's, that's close to a billion dollars right there. And basically, you know, this money has been used to build all kinds of great trails, a lot of Imba epics, um, some of the things in Arkansas uh, that were done in the past use that money. So that's an important one. The fund expired September 30th. So yeah, that money has not been flowing down to these projects. So get on it, Congress. <laughs> <laughs> so then there's, there's also, there's another one called the Recreational Trails Program, RTP. And that's the one in particular that like every year it seems like it's being held up for one reason or another. And then eventually we get the money. So not to say that, you know, we should just sit on our hands and like it's going to happen. Maybe this will be the year that it doesn't. But the recreational trails program gets funding from actually from the highway trust fund. So a lot of like vehicle use taxes, like I believe even gasoline tax, actually a portion of that is set aside for recreational projects. And again, yeah, that money's being held up or is being threatened to be held up. So we need to keep an eye on that, make sure we get our, our funding for the year. Yeah. AMBA does have a link to some of these bills and acts on their website. And you can go on it, put your information on there and at least make your voice heard to lawmakers. Cause it's a, it's, I mean, it's a ton of money. Yeah. Even just that one, two and a half million dollars a day. Like you can, <laughs> You can fund a lot of trail systems with just one day of, of funding. Right. One day. Right. Well, and to be clear, like the money doesn't just go to mountain bike trails or even trails. I mean, it could be a bike path or it could be a picnic shelter or, you know, who knows. And, and the way funding is doled out is through grants. And so, again, that's one of the functions that EMBA provides for mountain bikers is they in some cases they'll apply for grants or they at least help like a state level or even a local level group put together a package to say, Hey, we want to build this trail and it's going to serve these people. And can we please have a million dollars? And a lot of times they say yes and we get a million dollars. So, yeah. So yeah, if the money's not there though, nobody gets anything. Right. There's a couple other bills that are 
sort of pending or in in the works right now in the U.S. There's the Recreation Not Red Tape Act. That's one that IMBA is supporting. Actually, they worked to shape some of the components of that act. So this is kind of the bill that IMBA is really pushing that they say is going to really help mountain biking. And so I don't know the full details of the act. Have you read into that one at all, Matt? I have not. Yeah, I mean, they just say it's the best bill for more mountain biking um, getting introduced to Congress. So maybe maybe they're lumping mountain biking or mountain bike trail grants into some other categories as well, just to actually get it get it in front of politicians' faces. Yeah. But yeah, I'm not sure exactly how that works. Yeah, I mean, my broad understanding is that it's doing some things to make it easier to get trail systems funded and approved. But again, one of the big red tape areas is these like wilderness study areas, you know? I mean, that's, mm-hmm. that's, if you ask me, that's like the definition of red tape is, well, you know, like we might one day make this a wilderness area. And so in the meantime, we need to keep you out, but that's certainly not part of it because that would upset some of the people that Emba works with, you know, in the Sierra club and like these other outdoor groups. As far as I know, they support this bill as well. The Recreation Not Red Tape Act. Gotcha. There's another act that's being worked on right now called the Restore Our Parks and Public Lands Act. And what does this one do, Matt? Sorry, there's a huge... This has been covered uh, quite a bit in the past year or two about this just backlog on maintenance and just all the funding that actually needs needs to be created to help out in our national park systems and public lands and, you know, some of the support or infrastructure inside there is in some, in some of the parks is not great. Um, so mm-hmm. anyways, it, uh, creates funding, uh, for maintenance backlog on a lot of the public lands. Yeah. And it's like you said, it's a big problem. I mean, it's, it's multiple billions of dollars in maintenance that yeah. needs to be done and there's not really a clear way to fund it. And so the idea is to use that act to hopefully, get back on top of some of that stuff. Yeah. And then finally, there's one more bill, the Every Kid Outdoors Act. And this one's kind of interesting. It'll provide fourth graders and three of their adult friends with free access to public lands and waters. So this is like a federal act, again, which makes sense because EMBA is advocating for it at the national level. And I believe here in Georgia, we have a similar program for fourth graders where they can visit state parks. I don't know why they chose fourth grade. I'm sure there was some study where they figured that's when kids are most impressionable and interested in the outdoors, open to trying new things. And so I think other states probably do it as well. So this is probably just an extension of that and and making it available at our national parks and forest areas that charge admission fees. Well, that's all the latest on advocacy stuff and some of the issues that are going on with trail access here in the United States. It's a new year, 2019, and so I'm sure there's going to be lots of developments in all of these areas and on these various bills. So to keep up with the latest, be sure to check singletracks.com every day for the latest news where we publish original content daily and share videos and all kinds of fun stuff for you to check out. That's all we've got this week. Talk to you again next week. Peace.